Welcome back to Media Democracy. It's a podcast about media, politics and the politics of the media. I am Tom Mills and I'm joined as ever by Dan Hind. Hi, Dan. Hello. How's things? You well? I'm well, again, I'm this cold is lingering, Tom. I'm not going to lie to our listeners. But you're recovering. That's the important thing. And def- you're showing up for work. Definitely on the road to recovery. And yeah. because I am prepared to make sacrifices for the cause, I have been out on... The mythical doorstep in East Kent this morning, doing some canvassing for for the local Labour Party. Yeah. Um, and despite your ill health. Despite my ill health, I was actually I spent a lot of time coughing noisily in the street outside people's houses. <laughs> people must have been absolutely delighted to see I, you. I think I was a, I was a ringing advert for the for the benefits of socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was in a it was in quite an affluent area. Of Thanet in East Kent, um, quite. This is a strong Kent theme into this week's podcast. There is it's very much a local theme. Tom and I. This is Dan's. This is Dan's part of the world for people who don't know that. That's well, we're going to find out more about our this part of the world in our interview, which is coming up. Um, That's a little. That's just throwing it forward. But little teaser. People can. I think it's fair to say, Tom, that our our listeners can get the impression that you and I are sort of. Olympian intellectuals, mm-hmm. you know, we operate in a, a sort of um, a disembodied ether and look down from a great height at the world of political and and um, media politics. But actually, I live in a place. Um, I do live in East Kent. I live in Thanet. And I am, as they say, an activist in the local party or have been for a little while. But what I wanted to talk, talk quickly about before we we move on to the main theme of the show is this business of the doorstep the um the mythical doorstep a lot of people um particularly on the in the center and on the right of the labor party use the doorstep i think quite for quite powerful rhetorical ends to really berate um the left for its supposedly impractical or unpopular policies yeah, um, there's a lot of that in the last election, wasn't there? There was a um, huge amount of that. Yeah, and people yeah. people reporting back these their sort of anecdotal encounters with quote ordinary voters, which constantly sort of repeated this idea that um, Corbyn was trying to sell pie in the sky. Um, people weren't buying it. it was gonna, we were headed for a disaster, and so on and so forth. And and, and and again, the idea of being a, a doorstep campaigner is, is one of the ways that a certain sort of Labour politician builds a, a personal following, but also builds a sort of, a, you know, a reputation for being a real campaigner, you know, a real a real stalwart of the campaign. So it's part of their hard workingness. That's um, right. And I think I think, um, I think uh, one 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 MP recently said that she'd knocked on 25,000 doors um, in an election campaign. That seem quite impressive. Which is, which is quite a rate to be doing that at. Um, it's the sort of um, velocity you'd expect from kids playing pranks rather than people actually canvassing on the... Well, that's uh, efficiency, though, isn't it? It's very efficient. To knock and run um, is, is a, it's a very quick way of doing it. Um, but what, I, what I'm interested in doing is this sort of kind of sort of reflecting on it is like of course when you open the door when someone opens the door to a canvasser and they and the canvasser sort of stands there more or less nervously saying oh i'm here from the labor party 
the first thing you're going to hear from people is going to be stuff that they've read recently in the Daily Mail. Right. The first thing they're going to respond to you with is stuff that's front of mind, things that are being reiterated in the media. And when you know, when the hostility to Corbyn is particularly kind of intense, it's hardly surprising that people open the door and are, you know, are willing to sort of volunteer what seems to be a sort of generally sanctioned or approved idea that so and so politicians unelectable or this this guy is a wrong one or what you know what I mean? Like Yeah. These are the sorts of things that people feel confident volunteering. And what what I think is interesting is when you keep talking to people, you're obviously not gonna win them round, like from like, you know, being a lifelong conservative voter to suddenly deciding that Corbyn's the best thing ever. But but what does happen, I think, and what does happen with certainly with people who aren't completely committed is you can see people looking at you and thinking, why is this person who seems to be kind of ordinary, like kind of perfectly ordinary, why are they taking time to campaign for Labour? Right. And and I think one of the one of the key things that canvassing does is it, 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 it gives people a chance to hear about or see a Labour supporter without the sort of mediating intervention of the right wing press. Right. Yeah. So the right wing press is telling you that everyone who supports Corbyn is a sort of wild eyed revolutionary or, an, you know, screaming anti-Semite or whatever, you know, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Then you turn up and you're sort of stumbling around and coughing away and carrying on. But you're basically like there and trying trying to engage with them in a sincere way. And you can see them thinking, well, this isn't really the, the stereotype, is it? Um, and I don't want to overplay the importance of it. And I'm not saying that, um, you, as I say, you can sort of turn people 180 degrees on, uh, you know, in, in, in a brief encounter. But I definitely think the stuff that they say, which is used by certain elements in the party to sort of berate the left with, um, that's just the stuff you've just got to get through. You know what I mean? That's just the stuff that they're going to volunteer. Um, yeah. And, and the, the well, that's re- why often, like they, you know, you you're asked sort of specific questions like, um, you know, like what the Labour used to do would be like, are there particular local issues in your area, you know, which the party could address? And that's like, I mean, I think there, like sort of relatedly in the last election, there was a sort of sense that okay, we can we can campaign locally, so like people don't need to worry about Corbyn. So it's like some of the most right wing MPs would be like, you know, don't worry, we <laughs> we post Corbyn, you know. But then others would be like, they'd be putting out campaign literature, which would be based much more on sort of the party brand rather than the leadership or, you know, trying to emphasize what's being done locally. And I, I think the other element of this is, I, mean, I don't know how exactly how it relates to your point, but like we all sort of under pressure or like put on the spot, we'll tend to volunteer whatever sort of pops into our head at the particular time. I got like an example of this sort of a bit embarrassing, but like I was on the receiving end of like years ago was like a lab- labor people coming around and knocking on my door and um sort of asking me if there were any local issues i probably told you this before but i think i've mentioned on the podcast where i was like the only thing i could think of was the fact that i trodden in dog shit earlier that day and it just really <laughs> pissed me off so it's like the sort of classic kind of like reactionary daily mail reader thing because at this point like i live next to a park and there was just dog shit everywhere and like i try not to be like that guy but like i was just like completely on the spot and like so I was just like are there any local issues and I was like local issues and like and they were like that's so I sort of didn't say anything it was like you know like in the street uh or the like, local schools 
and I wasn't I wasn't a dad at that time so I was just and I'd only you know I didn't really have much interaction with anything I mean I should have mentioned like the police brutality I'd witnessed like a few weeks before but that sort of came spelling out but the thing is like again it's one of those things where like you, I mean you sort of know this from like polling and like focus groups right but like you, you anybody will tend to sort of reproduce stuff like that when they're on the spot yeah. and yeah. in a sense it's not really a political conversation until it is sort of until you're invited to be political if you know what I mean and um and it's also probably a bit weird doing that with a stranger you know because yeah. yeah. people are also kind of thinking oh um I don't want to be caught up in a big conversation so yeah. probably a lot of people are just sort of thinking what is the natural way I can bring this conversation to yeah. a close which is yeah. just that's just the response you have when someone knocks on your door and you think they're trying to sell you something you know yeah, exactly yeah and so I, it is a very it is a very artificial environment and I, I'm sure you're right that like people yeah sort of reproduce those kinds of like uh yeah re- received wisdom but I yeah. mean are you, are you thinking that well you said two things really like one that you need to get through that and number two do you think it's sort of useful for people to see or meet like um a member of the Labour Party but do you do you think based on your experience that the the interactions you had were potentially useful I mean I know it's difficult to gauge because obviously it's just your perception and I'm sure you think of yourself as very persuasive but what was your sort of vibe you know I am you know I've uh, I'm not there are people who you know have got much more experience of it and I think are much more adept at sort of um working people into a sort of an you know an engagement um yeah. I tend to fold quite easily if someone says oh, I hate Corbyn I tend to be my too, yeah thanks very um, much for your time yeah, see you. sorry mate um, <laughs> that uh, guy <laughs> but um um but I think I mean there's a number of things that, that are going on right I think a lot of people are basically undecided and at this point there's a sense Certainly the thing, the overwhelming theme, and you only can work with impressions, right? But the theme I picked up today is that people are really fed up with politicians in general. They're fed up with Parliament. They're fed up with like that. And again, that's a whole, that's there's a whole sort of discourse around um, parliamentary dysfunction at the moment, which people are picking up and reproducing. Um, Again, I think seeing people who are kind of ordinary, like people in the street advocating for politics brings it out of that world of television and MPs and says, look, these, these are ordinary people who are, who are taking the trouble to knock on your door. Um, and I think that, that has quite a useful effect on, you know, perhaps less committed voters to think, well, maybe I'll engage a bit with what, 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 the, what this party's saying, because, you know, they, they have, they've got enough wherewithal to get people to knock on my door, you know, which the other lot probably yeah. haven't. The other thing is that, like, I mean, as I understand, I'm not that familiar with this kind of literature because it's getting a bit close to political science to my liking. But as I understand it, like a lot of voters actually want someone to come and talk to them, like sort of resent never having been like, you know, if, if someone's not asking for, yeah. for your vote, it's kind of like, well, why would I go out to the polling station? You haven't yeah. even bothered to come and knock on my door and ask for me yeah. to vote for you, you know. So I, I think that's. Although at the same time, a lot of those people are the sort of people who say, no, I can't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking to you about politics. Well, so. yeah, exactly. That's why, like, you know, the old Labour machine was sort of targeting those, yeah, those swing voters, wasn't it? It was like... Well, it's um, interesting. I think a lot of the, a lot of the canvassing effort went into getting out the vote. Um, yeah. That was sort of the conventional In the last model. election, you mean, yeah. 
Well, you know, I think or an, all of the Blairite. I ones. think yeah, back back to the back to the sort of 1930s. It, it, the idea was you got your people out, and mm. your people were, were quite a stable social block. It's just a question of making sure that they you knocked on their door and got them out to the polling station, sort of thing. Um, and that was how you want in tight, you know, in tight seats was getting more yeah. of your base to come out. We are we are at a point I think where a lot of people are much less um, committed to a party identity. They, they are there is more there is more sort of party switching going on. So again, the fact that as a mass party we can get people to engage on you know face to face, like I say. You could, I think, if you came away, you could naively come away from it thinking, oh, you know, people really hate Corbyn or they're furious about Brexit or whatever it happens to be, and not maybe realise just how useful it is that you were there, you know, mm. that you actually were there and you said hello and you were pleasant and you said, well, you know, I think Tories are, are fucking things up and we've got to get them out. And like mm. they might, you know, they're not going to agree with you and shake your hand on the door, sir, but they might go away and think, Christ. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a bit different from from what I've been sort of told about on the news. I hope uh, so, Dan. I mean, it is kind of Labour's edge over the Tories now, isn't it? I mean, they're yeah, I mean, apart from the fact is. of being able to actually have some coherent policies about anything. But like um, in terms yeah, of like I, electioneering, I mean, the I mean, the interesting thing is that the this sort of mood that. Um, sorry about that. This mood that. Um, People have that they're fed up with politicians in general. You know, the Corbynite agenda is to kind of return power to people. Um, it's just very difficult to get that message across um, when the media are so determined not to, not to talk about Corbynism as an ideology, you know, as a thing, as a set of kind of policy ideas. Anyway, we've talked enough about this. I'm being an insufferable um uh, you know, newcomer activist who's convinced they've discovered, um, rediscovered the wheel. But um, but I do think it's, you know, it's worth reflecting on what we mean when we say, oh, well, we're a mass party and we can have these conversations now. Um, what exactly is the valence of that conversation that we can have, you know, in 30 mm. seconds or five minutes or whatever it happens to be? Um, so that's our that's our little nod to localism there. Um and it's relevant, I suppose, because the party is a medium of communication. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a medium of communication of a particular kind. Um, and it's made up of, of these um, ungainly things called human beings. Um, but nevertheless, it is a powerful means of reaching people. Um, Agreed. What um, the main the main sort of. The bulk of the, the episode is an interview that we did a couple of days ago with. Um, a journalist who's again based in East Kent called Jodie Nestling. Jodie's worked worked originally in one of the local media conglomerates and now works on the Isle of Thanet News, which is a hyper local startup based in Thanet in East Kent. And we talked to to Jodie about her experiences in the corporate sector and then um, working in the independent sector. And I think it's a really useful insight into exactly what's been going on in local news. And it edges towards thinking about what we're going to do about it. So why don't we roll tape?
We're joined now by Jodie Nestling. Jodie is um, one of one of the team who runs the Isle of Thanet News uh, in East Kent. And we're going to be talking today about her experiences in local media, both in the corporate sector and in the independent sector. So, Jodie, welcome to Media Democracy. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a great pleasure. Now, Jodie, what I wanted to kick off with was really a sort of general question about your your kind of background and experience working in sort of corporate owned um, local news. Can you just sort of give give our listeners a sort of bit of background about your your experience uh, in the sector? Yeah, of course. So um, I trained at the Press Association in London as a kind of a career change, really, in my early 30s, really. Um, And I'd had some experience on the Essex newspapers, which was owned by a company called Local World, who'd just bought it from Northcliffe Media, which is part of the mail group at the time. Um, So um, I I basically, someone recommended for the job in Margate, um, and I went down there and a lady called Cathy Bales, who's the news editor, um, interviewed me, and Rebecca Smith, who was the general editor. And um, I got the job and I started working there. And there was a quite a full team there. We had photographers who were employed, there's three photographers. Um, Web was kind of in its infancy a little bit then. Or right. we had, um, so it was mainly the newspapers that we were doing um, and it was very enjoyable. There were three reporters. And sorry, what, what year what year was this? Is so that... it's 2013. Okay, yeah, so right. this is 2013 after I'd just kind of qualified. Um, came down, um, I was very throw you in at the deep end, which I really liked actually. So we'd get to do a lot of the parish council um, meetings, which is, you know, it was, it was very, people think they're quite dry, but actually it's how you learn your trade. It's how you make contacts and it keeps your face out there in the local community and people sure. appreciate it. Um very long hours but um to be honest with you when you are learning a, a trade like journalism you have to do there's no shortcut to it really you have to go through the council meetings and you have to learn what you're doing um so we did cover a lot of court there was as I say an editor a news editor and then there was someone that done the web as well separately mm-hmm. now um again it was it was hard work um we'd have on call every other weekend would kind of be on call I suppose and you know you didn't really get all of the days back right um and it was very very low paid as you can imagine um but it was you know it's a fun enjoyable job and you felt like you were supported very much and learning yeah. at the same time and then I think local media a local world had just taken it over and it was came, became quite clear that they wanted to go um very strongly for the web mm-hmm. um and not just that they you know they started to cut costs quite drastically so I've told you about the, the team that we had by the yeah. end of three years. Kathy was then editing the newspaper. There was no news editor. So she was kind of doing all of that. And there was just one reporter and that was me. Um, so yeah, it was kind of just two of us in the end. And it was very stressful. So that, um, so that you'd gone down from a staff of, of how many to two? Yeah. So I think it was basically, if you count the photographers, because then they were basically told to go freelance. Yeah. Um, so there was, yeah, we had our receptionist as well because they were very helpful you need that admin support actually and they were you know, vital and booking adverts and stuff like that yeah they so kind of I think there was probably about one two three four five six seven eight nine about ten staff for the, for yeah. the local paper and it kind of went down to about three or four 
Right. So it's a really yeah. dr- drastic sort of reduction in the. Yeah. Um, and there was kind of um, and this is by the time Local World had sold the business to Trinity Mirror, which is now Reach PLC. Right. Mm-hmm. And what they had done is, I think, you know, they'd basically wanted to just buy and sell the company to make a bit of money on it, which they did. And then you had Reach come in, who then drastically changed the organisation um, and cut a lot of jobs, basically, um, the people that were kind of putting the paper together. And we got to the point where we were writing for them and, you know, we didn't want our bylines attached because we couldn't have the time to do our jobs properly. Um and it, yeah, it became very um, uncomfortable, really. So I left, and I went. I started at the KM Group. So, how, so how long was that, um, Jodie, between when you started and, and and left, and that whole process of um, three years starting? So quite quite rapid, really. Very rapid. Yeah. 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 I imagine to go through it, as, and particularly as a sort of first or early career job, must have been incredibly disorienting. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, I mean, it's a fast, but I think. You know, I think basically nobody knew how to, and they still don't really monetize the web. All they knew is that they had to do everything on the web and kind of forgetting everything else. And it seemed to be a lot of managers about, but not a lot of people actually doing the work mm. um, and, you know, centralizing everything. Um, so, you know, if you look at Kent Live now, and there's, you know, there's a lot of talented people out there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there was not talented people there at all, but it's, it's completely centralized. So you don't have a true local voice, really. That's interesting. Can you just sort of talk through their operation a bit? Like, where are they physically based? Well, basically, so we we were always in Thanet. So what happened was when they bought out, because obviously there was a lot of titles there, was the Dover Express, Folkestone Herald um, and the Canterbury Times series, which included the Whitstable Gazette, I want to say, or was that no, Whitstable Times? It's 150-year-old newspaper, that was. Right. They folded the free newspapers, so they don't exist anymore. That's just gone. Yeah. And then what they did is they centralised everything at Folkestone, so everyone was working from the same office. So there was no reporters in Thanet. So there was two offices. There's one in Tunbridge Wells doing the west of Kent and one in Folkestone, and I think they're at Discovery Park now. But, yeah, so there wasn't any local offices anymore. They shut them all. Right. So you were kind of working, working in almost in seclusion from the communities you were supposed to be. Covering. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't. I'd left by that point. But, um, right. you know, the writing was on the wall. Um, yeah. And yeah. my business partner, Kathy Bales, was commuting to Folkestone. And I think that's when she began to seriously think about doing something on her own. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, let's um, let's talk a bit about the the Isle of Planet News, then, which is, mm. which is the... It was pri- it was originally a, a sort of online only operation set up by Kathy yeah, Bowles, wasn't correct. it? Correct. Yeah, um, yeah. And it covers, as the name suggests, it covers Thanet sort of in in East Kent, which for our listeners is is essentially it's Margate, Ramsgate, Broadstairs, and some of the villages a bit inland. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite a particular place. It's it you know it is it wasn't in historical times an island, and it has mm-hmm. kind of a sense of its own centre of gravity. It does. Like, I can't quite imagine tr- trying to cover its rich tapestry of life from from Folkestone. <laughs> I mean, you can't. That's the it's, thing. It's, it's um, difficult. When you write locally, your contacts are everything and putting your face about and, and covering meetings. I don't think you really you don't really understand anything until you go and have this face to face contact. It's vital. Um, you know, I'm not a Luddite. I do believe technology <laughs> is an important place in news and it's. To some stuff, but um, 
I, I don't think you can replace that actually. Um, and you, you're not going to learn about somewhere as, as as bonkers. Let's say it is a bit of a bonkers area politically. Well, um, it has its, yeah. it has its very it's very particular. It um, is quality of life. Um, and it's and particular challenges. I mean, you know, challenges in 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 terms of local government. Mm. Um, and in you know like serious sort of challenges in terms of social issues around um, deprivation and homelessness and so on. Um, a place that really needs to be um, subjected to sort of sustained um, attention by by um, by the media. Yes, completely. And I think, I mean, that seems very much to be the the ethos behind um, behind the Alphabet News. But can you just talk a little bit about the difference between working for an independent startup? and working in the corporate sector? Well, for us, it was freedom. So Cathy started the Isle of Fanet News nearly three years ago as a, as a web, as a hyperlocal. Mm-hmm. And there was lots of people kind of playing around with the ideas, but I think it took a lot of guts and bravery. And um, I don't think she just thought, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to do it. And she did. And she's a fantastic, brilliant journalist. We get on very well. We've always remained friends. And I've, I helped to, like, I don't know, cover the occasional story for her and stuff but I was working for the opposition then anyway so we kind of didn't really work together much and then um it's, it's basically it's covering all the stuff that we felt incredibly sad that wasn't was getting completely missed um in the paper because you know what Thanet people love their news they love it um and you know we we're being told that you know people don't do this and people don't know that and we felt intrinsically that that wasn't the case and we thought we know our area we know our readers we know it. We live here. We're local. We understand it. Um, so I, we decided to do things a bit differently um, and cover everything. And it's, even if people don't click on it or read it, we still do it because we feel that's our job to do that. Um, you know, and it all, it's all part of, of being that voice for your community, making your contacts, um, making sure things are exposed. Um, it all has to come together like that. And I think, you know, there's there's definitely room for it. I, I guess as well, you being here mm. and doing the kind of reporting that doesn't necessarily, it's not like, you know, five things to do on a oh, sunny day yeah. in Margate. It, you've got endless clickbait. But by doing okay. the kind of journalism that matters, um, that you that you see has news value, over time that can't help but build confidence in the people that you meet, that you, if they've got a story you will treat it responsibly and do it, you know, do it thoroughly, which, you know, is not something that you can really put on a balance sheet. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, you can't. And I think, I think, I think it's as well, it was basically a race to the bottom with the big, you know, the bigger companies because they had these ideas that they thought what readers wanted. And it's just, no, you're just putting it out there. Like you're doing these ridiculous stories that is not even uh, local to Thanet's. Um, and you've got, you know, you have reporters, rookie reporters there that aren't learning the trade properly because they're they're not going out into the community and because I don't have the luxury of time. And those are the people that get kind of slammed online. But it's actually not their fault. They should be trained. They should be learning more and, and, mm-hmm. and doing, you know, doing court stuff. And I'm, I'm sure there's an element of that because they do cover inquests as such. But, um, you know, some of the stories that they they put out, um, they just assume that readers want, but they don't actually. And I said, people get wise to that as well. They get wise to the fact that they, oh, this is clickbait. 
we're not going to click on it anymore um when they're putting something about a special offer in Audi or something because they yeah. do that yeah. it's, it's very odd um, <laughs> well, you know you build as a news story yeah have a look at it it's, honestly because it's, it's reach plc Mm. They'll have these kind of centralised stories from up like Liverpool Echo or something like that. And then they'll put something like there's you can buy a, a thing in Audi or something. It's really very bizarre. It is bizarre, but it's also like just, it seems to like undermine well the sort of concept of professional journalism, really. I mean. It does. And I mean I'm not I'm not saying we there's not room for a bit of kind of silliness or lighthearted journalism and you know, um because you you don't you don't have to read it at the end of the day, but something like that it's just a nothingness and I, I don't even know you know tom and i take a very dim view of fun joe jody i think true media structure should have no jokes in it or zero jokes thank you to drive out you need to um, drive out the media system it's um no but you're right it, it, there's you know there's a you know there's a there's a place for all kinds of um of reporting but when you get this sort of centralized model of basically sort of reproducing press releases um in a way that sort of skirts advertorial as well yes. um, it's bound to create reader resistance and it'd be like you know well why why would i get involved in this except in a very very sort of shallow and transactional way where you know you might collect the coupon or something but you're not going to you're not going to immediately think of this as a, as part of your community or you know part of the way that um that public business is done um so so you were able to kind of pursue your own you know follow your own professional lights uh, by setting up an independent Mm -hmm. um but what um you know what would you say is your are your your ambitions for the for the operation it's a really good question because at the moment i mean trying to, to get the business going because obviously we we produce a newspaper me and kathy decided to to come together to do the monthly newspaper because um we knew we had to kind of change it a little bit because people do not buy newspapers on a daily basis anymore not even the weekly ones but we still value them and we still think we could do something different that complemented the website as opposed to being in opposition to it they weren't competitors they never were mm-hmm. um i think at the moment whilst we're trying to explore our sustainability and um business model um the journalism is still good journalism obviously we came highly commended at the kent press and broadcast awards which is only several months after we launched which was very very proud of yeah but i think the end goal really would be is if we were kind of you know quite funded fully funded and just do really really good long-form journalism slowing the pace down going to all the meetings spending a day with somebody which is yeah. like reporters just do not have the time to do that they don't have time to do anything and and they're doing multimedia stuff they're doing a whole range of skills which is actually great and I'm totally for that but there has to be a time where you can sit down and trawl through papers or go to a three-hour meeting because actually good journalism takes time it just does Um, you want your FOIs and at the moment when we're kind of under attack by almost everyone in in, in central and, and and local government um where they're slashing resources mm-hmm. you have to basically send a freedom of information request to get even a basic answer to a simple question so whilst we're it's never been more a need more of a need for local journalism and decent dedicated journalism that takes time yeah um because it does um and 
that's that's kind of what we want to be doing really long form stuff mm-hmm. good human interest uh, stories that we can take the time to go and see people and interview and also we want to be able to give a really good you know valuable work experience places and and teach people about local journalism because actually we think that's really important to educate people about what we do and the the laws behind it and you know so people go on facebook they understand that actually if they write something and they reveal the identity of a victim of a sexual assault that they can't do that mm-hmm. that um we have to adhere by certain laws because everything's being kind of undermined and i think basically to to rectify that we need some kind of education um, mm-hmm. because people why would you expect people to know about media law why would they know that they wouldn't would they i wouldn't have done if i wasn't a journalist so um, no, there is there is a sort of pernicious side to this idea of citizen journalism, isn't there? Where yes, very much so. Yeah, where people are like, oh, I can do it, and it's like, well, actually, there are reasons why people sort of take. They, as again, it takes time to learn what the law is, takes mm-hmm. time to learn good practices. And yeah, not just that. I think there's quite a lot of people that have Facebook groups and such. So effectively, the publishers, but you know, they they edit people's responses. It's all very. Do you know what I mean? It's quite. Um, it's it's not um, balanced as such because you have these people running the group mm-hmm. who are editing everything out that they don't like so it fits their narrative and, and that's obviously wrong as well because one of the things that we kind of try to pride ourselves on is that we try to be as objective as possible because you have to be. Yeah, again, I think this is something that is is underappreciated in that in that sort of do-it-yourself milieu. Again, there's you know there's a place for opinionated comment god knows um i indulge in it myself but as you say there is a difference between that and going going to to try and find out what happened without fear or favor um and trying to do that by you know by a set of of professional standards yes um i mean the other thing you mentioned about taking time like like understanding is about learning to recognize patterns isn't it yeah and one of the things that i'm conscious of you know having lived in the, in a particular place of a particular scale for for about five years now is you start to see similar ideas re-emerging similar things happening over time mm-hmm. and if you were parachuted in somewhere for 20 minutes to get a quote and then off to you know you would never have any sense of of place you would never really understand the dynamics that are driving developments in a particular place um and it's really about being um you know that terrible word embedded but that sense of being connected over time to a place that i think gives you a chance to sort of develop a much richer understanding and analysis of of what's going on yeah so So, yeah the other element of that is that if you have some sort of embedded understanding of what's going on and that kind of latent professional knowledge then you're not it also equips you to kind of question the cliched interpretations or whatever I wondered if you could talk Jodie about how you see the future in terms of like um support for for what you're doing do you see that as developing through a process of sort of building trust and like community engagement and so on yeah and it's not being it's not being um shy about what we are I mean we're a very trusted brand um we get on very well with most of our readers um and the community it's getting people on board to kind of fund it and and you know because I think it's really an exciting time for local news people say it's a dire time it isn't it's an exciting time because things are changing and that's a good thing um you know you don't have as 
massive over um, massive overheads or costs actually um, and we're a small outfit and we can train them hopefully the next generation of journalists but what we'd like to do is get people to fund it on a monthly basis so they wouldn't notice it going out their pocket as such but then the more we can move away from advertising the better because it, you know then we're totally for the people we don't have to you know worry about if we're going to offend somebody or do you know what I mean it just gives us that independence but I think there's a great future for it it's just trying to persuade people to get on board with journalism because obviously you have the reputations for the big big um, mainstream media which is terrible Mm -hmm. and I think people also assume that journalism is just there because it's always been there and it's like trying to convince people to try and fund something that you know is so integral to a, a just and democratic society is quite difficult actually but you know what I've had to learn over the past 12 months to shout about it a lot more and and to not not be quiet about it because actually Kath and I were journalists but we was kind of um you know timid about kind of saying what we're doing and didn't want to ask for money and didn't want to do this and we were like actually we need to sort this out a bit and just kind yeah. of say actually yeah. we did quite a good job so I mean that's interesting isn't it I think there is a a sort of there is quite a sort of general inhibition about talking about the sort of material sort of requirements of of running a business like yeah, like a newspaper or um, news operation it's almost as though by by discussing that you are you're sort of i don't know you're undermining the the, the, the sort of general sense that people have that new as you say news just kind of happens mm, it does. Um, it's free it, it, you know it arrives or it's very cheap um and you know i mean i'm sure that big news operations will take and will lift your content and reproduce it for free Yes, uh, um, and, and create that sense that oh actually you don't really need to pay for journalism it sort of it just sort of happens by magic and I, um, I, um, yeah sorry I just um as I think I mentioned before to you um you have all these initiatives so the people that have stolen the, the main revenues for local news um basically so you, you have Facebook with the new community journalists and the BBC but they're going to these, you know, conglomerates mm-hmm. who basically weren't very good with their money in the 90s anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, wasn't particularly financially astute. So probably, you know, culpable for some of the, the stuff that's gone on. And yet they're slashing their newsrooms and then the taxpayer are funding these community democracy reporters. Um, and then, you know, you get the little guys like us and we, we're not eligible for it. And you think, well, what's it for? You know, I, I question that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Tom and I have talked about the the, the BBC scheme um, to support um, local reporting. Um, and, you know, the overwhelming bulk of the money has gone to the likes of Trinity Mirror or, mm. you know, whatever it's called now. And one of the things I think I'm certainly keen to do is, to, you know, to use what little sort of um, reach we have to encourage people to you know, to ask questions of the BBC about, you know, how they can justify giving so much money to these operations that have huge managerial overheads, right? They've got huge numbers of executives, huge numbers of people making really quite a lot of money on the back of, you know, smaller and smaller group of actual working journalists. Mm. And how can we justify giving public subsidies to them, whereas you are running, like, the very definition of a, a local democracy um, reporting operation and you're getting zero help yeah. um and it seems i mean in the immediate term 
you know, I think people do need to, we need, if we have got a bit of money to spend, and frankly, you know, I don't buy a, a newspaper regularly anymore. I do rely on the internet for my news to, to a much greater extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I live here, so I'm, I'm going to put a bit of money every month your way, because if we don't do that for our local news, um, we are really going to struggle um, yes. in the future, because the algorithm is not our friend. You know, what ends up on our Facebook feeds um, is not necessarily what we need to be hearing about. Um, we need to be having a much more um, rich, much rich conversation with our news providers, I think. And again, you know, the technology allows us to do that. Do you know what I mean? It allows us to it does. It's brilliant. interact with you as journalists and, you know, ask about what's going on. But the quid pro quo of that has to be, you know, we have to support you if we can. Um, and that's and there's two things I think we can do. I think firstly, and most directly, we can, as I say, we can chip in some funds. Um, and it's worth thinking about, you know, Navarra's fundraising. You know, they they suggest people pay an hour's wage a month. Yes. Um, another way of thinking about it is like, well, you know, how many newspapers did you used to buy? Would you, you know, chip in a, a sort of a decent sort of chunk of that to support the journalism that you that you now basically are going to going to have to rely on yeah and the thing is is there is definitely a demand for it i mean we do our circulation at the moment six thousand and they did they disappear instantly and it's like we we want to up it we want as many people to be able to read our newspaper as possible but they go but at the moment we can't afford the extra money for the the print run to be increased but there's definitely a demand there um and you know people have different reading experiences so if we put them in the cafes and in, in the retirement homes and in the train stations, people will just naturally pick them up and browse and and spend a bit more time because it, it, of the psychology of picking up a newspaper. You do tend to not flit around as much as when you're scrolling. Um, people tend to kind of read the stories a bit more if they're having a coffee. Right. So it's kind of um, picking up on people's habits and how they've changed, really, that we wanted to fit yeah. into as well. Yeah. Yeah. well you, you said it you couldn't it wasn't viable to increase the print run. So just on a basic level, how does that work in terms of like having to purchase a certain amount of runs? And why is that? Why does that not then bring you more revenue to increase the run? Because it's a free newspaper and the advertisers that we have at the moment. um, I mean, as soon as we start developing the subscription model, then we'll go up. But at the moment, I mean, Kathy and I don't really take a wage currently. And we have two designers. Um, We have a really good relationship with the people that print our paper. um, it's, it's a really easy process, actually. And we're lucky because and this is another great thing because Kent's got some fantastic journalists, actually, and it's got a rich history of local media. And, you know, we're, we're very good friends with a lot of people that we've worked with over the years. And I, I really value that um, and their ex- expertise, to be honest with you. But um, so two of our designers we've worked for for years. And um, when we said, oh, can you help us out with this paper? They were like, yeah, we'll do that for you. No problem. Mm-hmm. And it was really lovely. And, you know, we don't have to we have that relationship with them. You know, we we put it in Google Drive. They design the pages. We edit. Mm-hmm. We, we upload it. And it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once once we get our heads together and try and get some more money, then we'll just up the print run. I think definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So it, it, the, there's a demand without uh, yeah, yeah exactly. the capacity to you know. <laughs> really thought this through. <laughs> to support it. Well, it's tricky, isn't it? Because, you you know, you guys are trained journalists and you're being you're really being sort of driven to be, be sort of startup entrepreneurs or something. Which I know it doesn't really know. sit comfortably with us, but I think we need to get over that quite quickly. <laughs> no, that's right. And I, but, you know, 
you it's a process and 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 it's still early days as mm. i say i think what we can do as as consumers is is to is to contribute directly and start putting pressure on people like the bbc um to to start channeling funds um towards actual local independent uh, news operations jody it's been a pleasure to talk to you and i really appreciate you taking the time to sort of talk talk us through your experiences and your your plans for the isle of thanet news no it's an absolute um, pleasure thank you for having me we will put um we'll put links in the show notes as they say so people mm-hmm. can can find um find the find the uh isle of thanet news um but um tell us where we can find you on twitter now it should be at isle thanet news Brilliant. That's simple enough. Um, Thanks again for joining us and um, we wish you um, all the very best for the future. Thank you very much.